Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams, uh, being in teams, running teams, and generally getting the most out of your team. Uh, I'm here, as always, hanging out in the sunshine, opposite ends of London, uh, with my partner in pod, Sean Gallagher. How are you doing, Sean? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. Uh, I'm super excited about uh, today's. This was an incredibly inspiring conversation that we had with uh, James Adu. Yeah, really looking forward to this one. Um, this was excellent. I think the listeners are going to get a lot from this one. Uh, James is a really cool guy, so I hope everyone enjoys. Yeah, so we're going to be talking to James Adu from Scope. Let's get straight into it. I hope you enjoy. So joining us today on the podcast is uh, James Adu. James is the founder of an organization called Innerscope, who work with uh, student and staff groups on teamwork and leadership. James, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I've given a very brief intro there. Yes. Perhaps you want to introduce yourself a little bit more, talk about your journey, how you got to where you are now. Exactly. Well, yeah. So as you say, um, I have the privilege of, of running a team. Um, we're called Innerscope and we work with students and staff teams around things related to um, emotional intelligence. Well, I like, I like to call it applied emotional intelligence. I think it, oftentimes it can seem like this sort of kind of you know, almost esoteric sort of out there sort of concept but a lot of our work is kind of the, the the beautiful blend between the profound and the practical so we work with students gearing them up for their GCSEs but then equipping them with a skill set that kind of um, I guess assists their progress beyond their academia and then with the staff teams we do a lot of work around team communication and leadership development. Nice so is that something that you chose to train in so is your background in that from the start yeah yeah so in terms of the journey that's exactly yeah the journey so for me I, I think the key aspects of the journey I think it all started years and years ago I was about I would have been about 16 and um around this time um I was encouraged to volunteer at my local youth club so on my local youth club there was an alternative education provision so it meant that during the day I was um, working with students that had been either um, permanently or temporarily excluded from school. So I was working with them during the day and in the evening I was volunteering at my youth club and I absolutely loved it. It, it, was, it was in the area where I grew up um, and I was quite passionate about the area where I grew up as a young and so for, for that, that kind of started to sow the seeds of like this sense of working with young people in this particular way. And then after some time, like I guess key bus stop journeys, if I was to put it <laughs> like that, um, I started to, to work for the Islington Council. Um, so yeah. that was really cool. I went on to become like a detached youth worker. And again, that was on my literal estate. So where I was volunteering initially, that was about 15 minutes away. But where I had the role of being a, a senior detached youth worker, I, that was literally where I grew up. So for me, that was like massive. And um, so I really enjoyed that. And it, it kind of gave me such a, uh, it kind of immersed me into engaging with young people and families and the wider community in such a complex way that it kind of forced me to be like quite invested in growing as a leader. It meant I was thrusted into a, a, a scenario where I had to grow in leadership skills like um, it seemed like immediately. Um, so that was quite significant in, in, in Scope's journey. And then, and then I think for me, there was a particular point in which I was working later on, I started to work in a pupil referral unit once again. And I think that was one of the most significant aspects of me deciding that I want to start a company, um, that works with students around applied emotional intelligence. I think how that came about was by virtue of me <laughs> being honest, actually, there was times where students came through the doors and they had better maths than me, you know, <laughs> academically, they were like, yeah, there were some yeah. really, really bright students. However, that was also accompanied by, um, quite a, a, an inability actually to manage, um, relationships really. Whether yeah. that was with peers or whether that was with staff members, I'm seeing students that academically would have blown me out of the water when, particularly when I was their age. But um, I think when I reflect back on my academic journey, I had a reverse going on. I was I was all right at 
uh, getting on getting along with my with my peers and kind of working out who was who was for me and who was against and 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 then also yeah. again working out you know how I could maximize relationships with teachers in order to actually be um, you know have effective conversations that kind of help me progress and I saw that actually in one sense that is quite a nuanced skill set for a teenager definitely so it was it was it was when working in a Peru that I was like actually I would love to start um, a, a program that kind of helps students in in that sort of way and then I went on to study um, a youth and community degree um, at the University of East London. That was really, really significant for me. Um, And so all of these kind of things, I had the privilege as as well in my youth work experience of being a youth minister. Um, So there was a church just outside the estate where I grew up. And and that was massive for me as well. Um, So all of this kind of helped to kind of um, shape what Innerscope does in a sense, in terms of how we coach, how we get alongside students, how we bring, like a key thing we're really passionate about is, um, yeah, communication and creating concepts that bridge communication. So the work that we do with students, a central part of that is the work that we do with the staff teams so that there is a new heightened synergy between students and staff teams that contributes to like, yeah, students thriving. There's a couple of things you said in there that have started ringing bells and setting alarms off, but Sean and I both work primarily in in an educational setting. Mm. And uh, the first thing you talk about it being a privilege to work with young people, it's, it's not, it's not lip service. uh, Mm. Cause I feel, I felt that myself and I work with young people inside and outside of college, like the, the excitement you get from that, the, the energy that, 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 gives and puts that into the world is amazing um but not to get overtly kind of grumpy at the at the department of education straight away but the stuff that you're talking about the idea that there's lessons to be learned in school that aren't that are more valuable than maths in the in the in the world yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and how that's the stuff that's getting uh lessened or defocused uh speaks to the why there's a need for the work that you're doing totally. that that communication and negotiation of relationships is why schools exist with a bit of maths and english along the yeah, way i understand that i understand that it is such a that's a great way of just broaching that conversation i think it's it's been interesting actually because i, I definitely remember in my pre days uh, there was this whole theme of like seal they used to call it the social the social and emotional aspects of learning and um and i used to think this is massive like it's so it's so important isn't it um it's quite clear that unfortunately there's this tension between almost dichotomizing academia and then like like the holistic development of students. But I think, and so there's, and what's been interesting is there's been times where, for instance, Innerscope will go in and have a meeting with a school and they'll be working out if they would want to work with, with us. And you can clearly see some of the staff members are honest enough to say, well, listen, they need to be focusing on their academia. And, and, and where unapologetically our approach is actually students come outside of their, I mean, some of their taught lessons actually. Um, so, so, so it is quite an intense, intentional decision when schools choose to work with us and and again like um we that's that's our approach it, it brings outcomes we we run with that but i think if i was to be massively honest with you with the global pandemic <laughs> i yeah. think it put things into perspective like i'm pretty sure that, that like it wasn't just in a scope i know there was droves and droves of teaching practitioners and staff members that were hoping that the students had some sort of emotional resilient capital to be able to navigate yes. a global pandemic and 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 it's it's almost unfortunate that at that point there was a small part of me saying this is what we've been saying there was a small part of me that was saying almost not wanting to but i told you so like 110 percent feeling vindicated yeah exactly exactly and i think um so yeah i think in terms of the conversations that it's had unfortunately now when i'm speaking to senior leaders and head teachers you know they're coming out with things like you know one of the schools that we work with literally the head teacher was like james if there was ever a time that we needed you guys in our school it's now you know and in one sense yeah if there is that sense of vindication but there's also a sense of it's unfortunate, you know, in, in one sense. Yeah. So for me, 
a simple remedy is it doesn't have to be either or both and works you know both yes, and absolutely. clearly works and that's and that's where i've landed yeah james mm. thank you so much for being here that's um good. Uh, I know that you've uh, that Mark gave you a, a good introduction, um, and you guys have spoke. So <laughs> just wanted to say hello. Um, no, it was really good uh, when you were mentioning about your, the youth work because it really reminds me of kind of my my kind of start to my career. Sort of at sixteen, I was working in a local youth uh, in a community center, um, and I got a nice mentor there who, mm. who worked really hard with me uh, with, uh, at Westminster Sports Unit, who I'm still in contact with today. But that was a really good eye opener for me so you've worked in some i'm gonna say complicated education environments i've two two uh sounds like a much lesser extent worked in pupil referral units as a drama Mm. facilitator where the entire purpose of being there is about Mm. developing more uh strategic or complex ways of communicating Mm. to give vocabulary to people without vocabulary where that vocabulary isn't you know do you know how to order um you know a cup of tea in german (laughs) it's you know do i know how to express to someone that i am angry or frustrated with how they are with me or how i am unable to be with them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh when you're in those pupil referral units yeah, and you're working with students that don't have the skills off the bat, mm. how do you approach uh, the subject of, okay, we need to think about communication because it can be quite a sensitive thing to say, okay, yeah. you guys aren't working well. It could, yeah, of course. I think, what, I think how we approach it is actually by drawing um, attention to the fact that actually this theme is a through line that benefits and resonates with everybody. So the thing is, the beautiful thing about our work is is that we work with a spectrum of students. We're not only in pupil referral units, we're not only in um, um, working with students that have been um, maybe, um, you know, marked as having challenging behavior, but we work with um, students from across the board. In fact, one of our longest, um, uh, one of the clients that we've worked with for about four or five years now is a, is a boarding school in Brighton. And, and what draws that all together essentially is the fact that we, a lot of the work that we do is through the lens of leadership. It's through the lens of, of, of them um, progressing and taking ownership of how they're applying themselves. And these are themes that resonates with everyone. So I think when, we, when we're working with students that might have actually been marked as having challenging behavior and we let them know that actually this is something that resonates with everyone and that everyone could be working on and developing, then, I, I, yeah. then that's one thing that kind of gets their shield down somewhat. So there's that. But then another key thing that we do um, is is around helping them identify, you know, what their why is. That's a big part of it. So that's massively inspired by Simon Sinek's work on, you know, starting with the why. And that's actually a conversation that we take to students. And we just find that actually that helps to broach some really fascinating conversations with young people that naturally lend itself to them taking ownership of how they're applying themselves or at least reflecting on how they're applying themselves. So I think, you know, we don't go to young people like, okay, so the reason why we're in your school is because you've been marked as being a- no, You're no, bad kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, because one, that's not the truth. As I say, like we, we work with all sorts of student, students with different capabilities. Um, but again, the theme, like it's, it's great to be able to say the conversation that I'm bringing to you right now I bring to head teachers, I bring to heads of years and they're thinking about this, but you get to think about it a lot earlier. And that's the truth. There's coaching conversations that we have with students that we use exactly the same coaching conversations with with middle and senior leaders. And, And I think for young people, they get empowered by that. And that's something I wanted to 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 bring up actually, because mm. my experience of working in a pru, uh, the the faculty there, the staff members mm. are generally extremely conscious of mm. how they approach status, how they approach their version of leadership. They understand quite consciously mm. the impact that that has on the students that they're with. So they're generally mm. very, very careful. In more traditional or m- less uh, extreme educational settings, sometimes you find a situation where uh, 
a, a, a teacher or a faculty member mm-hmm. needs to check themselves mm. and how they consider their status with young people, because it yeah. is quite easy for them to sit in the hierarchy of there's a student and then yeah, there's a teacher who sit above that. Yeah. Does any of your work deconstruct that or, or, mm. or approach that? breaking down that status idea as far as leadership goes? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we do speak into that, actually, when we work with um, staff teams. There's a key concept that we take into schools, and it's quite simply called for me, against me, or for yourself. For me, against me, or for yourself. And simply this whole idea that when team members work with one another, or as a teacher, the way how you engage as a school leader, the way how you engage with students, do they walk away thinking that teacher is for me? As in that they're they're here to fight for my highest goods. They're here to see me thrive. Do they walk away thinking that teacher's actually against me? Or do they walk away thinking that teacher, they're they're not for me or against me. They're just for themselves. And then quite equally, that's a conversation that we take for teams as well. You know, students aside for a moment, when we think about the culture of your team, is it, do you have a culture that is comprised of just individuals that are for themselves? Or do we have a culture that's comprised of of individuals that are against one another? Or ideally, do we have a culture of a team where actually, you know, it's clear that they're for one another? James, James, when you say when you say a teacher would be for themselves. Yeah. Examples of that. Are we talking about I want to get the best grades in my department and therefore I'm going to take the top students and I'm going to kind of forget about the others. Is is that what we're talking about for ourselves? So on a teaching sense, unfortunately, teachers that might be for themselves, so to speak, or what it might look like for that to be perceived is that. It's this this sense of, you know, um, I hear, unfortunately, like in in one particular school, um, there there can be this culture um, where it's, it's almost this inordinate, like, um, an acronym do it and it's like do whatever it takes so if that's right. like you literally <laughs> give feeding them the answers then right, you know right. do whatever it takes if it's you you know and and actually what's what I find fascinating um, as I say we work with students in mainstream predominantly in mainstream at this point actually but if I was to be honest an observation on my side is when when working with students former pupil for a unit, you can, like, one thing that they're amazing at, like, their discernment, like, they're really good at being able to recognise, actually, there's that teacher there, yeah, he's just yeah. here for the job. They're just They'll here for the job. They, 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 they do, yeah. and it's amazing. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, I would argue a lot of that is around safety, actually. A lot of that is around them being able to have, quite quickly have to make an assessment as to how yeah. safe they are. Definitely. And, and as a result of that, they just get these amazing skills at being able to recognise, mm, I don't know, that they, they, just, they just care about the grade, so to speak. And James, I think mm. on that as well, mm. I think mm. a lot of teachers find that, intimidating Mm. because it's like how has a 14 year old worked me out yeah you you know so rather rather than flip it and go wow what an intelligent socially uh, emotionally uh, switched on teenager who understands the world and is maybe a little bit streetwise has clocked on yes to me worrying about myself you know they take it in the other way um and i think I think you can flip that switch on students really easily to to the teacher's benefit Mm. to really get them going and get them to be on side. But I love the for you against you um, or for themselves. That's a really good way of looking at things. I was going to say, James, um, Mm. obviously we've looked at at students there and Mm. and maybe the student and staff relationship a little bit. Mm. But if we just look at the staff team for a moment and just, and just to take it back even further to the leaders Mm. uh, and the culture that is in those schools, Mm. Who is actually asking for you to come in? Because because I think that is the point in time where you feel you've the door is open to change or to new ideas anyway. And if yeah. that's coming from a head teacher or someone like that, then maybe you're in the right environment to begin with. Yeah. Um, so can you just take us into a little bit about who who's brought you in? Who who's brought Inescope into schools? Why? And then maybe touch a little bit on 
than the staff teams because I'm fascinated mm. by a group of maybe senior leadership uh, uh, staff members sitting around the table and maybe having to look at themselves yeah. in terms of their leadership and of what course. that looks like yeah, and having yeah, conversations yeah. because it's a very tough space, I think, sometimes. Yeah, totally. It's just a great question, actually. I've never been asked that. So commonly you know typically i'm invited in by school leaders so whether that's um usually it's like a a vice principal a head um principal or a um or like a head of year eight head of year nine head head of years so usually it's someone that has you know quite a significant say in terms of like the culture of a year group or the culture of of the the, staff team and as you can imagine like i i fully take i i see that as a, a massive privilege to be able to contribute positive to any team um, that we get to work with. If I was to be honest, I think things started to pick up somewhat for the work that we do. I was awarded basically by the Metropolitan Police for work that was done um, on the the council estate where I grew up, basically in terms of supporting young people that were on the fringes of um, youth crime um, into, into employment, basically. And I think off the back of that, that's when I think because of the approach that I took, there was very much a, through through the lens of self-leadership and culture and, and a lot of the things that was used in order to deliver that piece of work, we take into the work with students and staff teams. And off the back of that, um, you know, schools have been willing to, to have Interscope in to work with their students and their staff teams. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I guess on that, though, once you then have that staff group, that staff team maybe in the room, mm-hmm. and if we just separate students a little bit now, and we just and we just dig into staff, yeah, is there staff who maybe walk into that room, at, you know, and they're not jumping up and down to speak to you or to mm-hmm. work on this because because maybe a head of year has noticed that things aren't quite right, or a principal's noticed things aren't quite right, or that things can be improved on, yeah, but necessarily on the ground floor, you know, in in the coalface, they they they're not sure that this is what mm. they need yeah if that makes sense you know what so that's a great question so to be fair if i was to be honest with you that's been quite rare but it definitely happens so what's interesting is you definitely you know there's sometimes you uh, as a as a trainer i might go into work with a staff team and you can tell that there's this sometimes there's this sense of look <laughs> yeah. I've been in this game for some time. Exactly. <laughs> and it's worked yeah. for me. Exactly. <laughs> and you listen, you you know, when I started teaching, you were probably in nappies. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes there can be a little bit of that. But um and for in those instances, listen, my, my passion and my drive to deliver goes all the more simply because that whole premise is predicated on this assumption that the world we are in now is the same world that you've executed on um, in the past. Definitely. But the truth of the matter is things are moving at such a rapid pace that like literally, we're, we're, like we say, you know, what got you here won't get you there. So I'm, I am I have an acute eye. And this and this, this is what we expect of students. We're, we pump students, oh, growth mindset, all of, the, all of that great yeah. stuff there. But, you know, and, and, and essentially it should be role modeled by staff. I am very happy to say though, that sort of attitude is quite few and far between. Most most times actually we get like staff teams are very much on board and quite passionate about facilitating a safe space where we're not here to to you know criticize but it's a, it's a space to sharpen um, one another's leadership essentially if we're saying that it's ultimately about seeing young people seeing students thrive that's what it's about exactly. leading teams in a way that students there should thrive. be no issue there yeah. should be no issue do you get me and 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 and, and what's really cool is in most cases when i'm invited in it is by like a deputy head or a head teacher or a head so that in in and of itself in most cases implicitly suggests that they're not gonna like a head head teacher is not gonna take all of this of, of his staff or her staff's time um, for anything that's not of value. So to be fair, I, 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 I can honestly say I don't get much resistance when I'm training. Most of the time, they're they're they're, br- they're brought on board. You know, that's good. That's it. that's good to hear. And like I said, I think if you know if their head is already thinking about inner scope or ahead of year and bringing you guys in, then maybe the culture is 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 a growth mindset yeah, culture. Exactly. You know? Exactly. What, what would be, uh, you know, communication, we said, is absolutely mm. key and vital. I've yeah. probably said the word communication about 12,000 times in <laughs> the, in yeah. the, in the uh, uh, podcast that we've put out already. But what, what are some of the examples? Because I think listeners always, always want to 
always yeah. want that real life kind of example yeah, to kind totally. of think in their head. What what are some of those communication issues that that come up? Yeah. That that staff do need to work through in their time with you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think a key thing, a fundamental aspect of the training that we do is the reality that um we're all different. And I know it sounds I know it sounds plain, but I guess for for myself that comes from someone that's trained in um a psychometric program that's got a Jungian type basis. Yeah. So as a result of that, this is like the, the distinction between someone that might be what we might call a thinker in comparison to someone that we might say is a feeler. And it's not that thinkers yeah. don't feel and it's not that feelers don't think, but we're talking about preferential development that's taking place over time. And then, and again, there's other dichotomies that have an impact on how we communicate. So then very practically, you might just find that some leaders, the way how they lead, they've got an orientation to be more task focused, which is great and is important. And then quite equally, you've got leaders that when they lead and communicate, they've got an orientation to be more team focused. And so one of the things that we do is help leaders be able to collaborate that and be mindful of what that looks like when you lead. So yeah. there's, some, there's some particular um, staff members or what we like to call leadership voices that actually they're, they're all up for the task. But then there's some that actually you might just need to invest on in the relational element and, and make sure that that's taking place as well. Because if you don't, it's likely to undermine one's influence. So quite practically, you know, um, there's some there's there, there might be some spaces for instance where um yeah maybe some emotion like for instance leading through a pandemic if you yeah. are a task focused leader you're going to do well to at times pause and just check in with your team on a relational element because what you and, and interestingly enough there's so your leaders again that um um quite a preference for being more thinkers than feelers you're more task oriented leaders for some actually when pressure hits their their tendency is to overdrive into the task but it's remembering that your team don't all see the world in the same way that you do so it's helping leaders to have that sort of awareness where they're able to be like actually as much as i might be a more of a task focused person i know that actually people on my team are not in the same sort of way that I am. They're obviously up for getting on with a task or we wouldn't be at work, but quite equally what it requires to get the best out of others is a different route for, for different um, individuals. So it's, it's, it's yeah. Which is why that, that why becomes so important, tying all totally. of these different skills and all of these different modes of communication to the same um, yeah. reason for being in this mm. team. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's definitely central. But there is definitely power in acknowledging the, the nuances in different people's leadership voices. Um, so I'm, I'm happen to be trained by um, a great company called um, Giant Worldwide. And so the program that I'm trained in kind of creates a space where leaders are able to identify, actually, for me, I'm, a, I'm more of a future focused sort of leader. Um, so what that means is that oftentimes <laughs> when I'm daydreaming, it's about the future, <laughs> you know, yeah. when I'm planning and dreaming, it's about the future. And that's great. But there's other people on your team that might be more present focused which yeah. is great because they care about the future as well, but how they get there is slightly different. They build from where they are right now. And so that means they're more, they have more of an acute eye for things that need addressing right now to build towards the future where your future focus voices, they, they're compelled by what they can see. Steve and what Jobs. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that visionary who exactly. then figures everything out afterwards. As they go along. People. Exactly. Yeah. And so what you might find then is that there could be communication wise, there could be a chasm that is created because if you're a present focus um, leader, which is great um, because it means that you're, you're able to be really pragmatic about present issues um, which builds credibility amongst your team, actually. Um, it means that if you're, if you're present focus voice um, and, and then you're being led maybe by someone that's fully future focused and they're unaware of how future focused they are, you're going to be like, wait, you're thinking about all of these big dreams, but have you not seen all of these big problems that we're all dealing with right now? 100%. And, so, and so as that visionary is, is communicating all the great things he or she can see and do and what we can be actually is taking place in a context where you haven't even realized how much you've undermined yourself for the past six weeks or six months because of glaring issues that you failed to address. So again, literally 
that can become a coaching conversation in the team. What are present issues that I need to be aware of? I'm a future focused voice. So it will do me well that I, I take stock and those that I know ain't don't have the same leadership orientation for me to check in with them and say, what are things that I might need to be aware of right now that we're not addressing? You know, it's that sort of thing. So is your training, uh, do you find your training is more self-reflective or are you, are you training people to, in, to interpret or to, to become bilingual in that sense? If I can speak, I can speak the future, but I can also speak the present or are yeah. you, are you teaching them to kind of step back? Totally. So I think, I think there's definitely like, um, who is it? I think it was Aristotle. Um, who said like an unexamined life is not worth living, you know? And and I think um, the same sort of applies to leadership. You know, if you're not going to critically reflect on how you're doing what you're doing, then there's a problem. So I definitely see the work that we do with leaders, a, a, a big part of my commitment is to create a safe space where that work can take place. However, it's not just a navel gaze. Like at, at some point, we've got to move into what does implementation look like? Yeah. How so does there's that a apply? self yeah. yeah, exactly. How's that applied? So there's definitely a self reflective element to it, 110%. But then there's a there's a collaborative. Okay, so what does this mean for your team? So again, with the training that we do, a prominent question that we we consistently ask is, what does it look like to be on the other side of you? You know, um, how do other people experience your leadership voice? Um, how do they experience your communication? You know, and your tendency, your tendencies, and your um, tendencies and your patterns and you know, so getting them to think about not only just to think inwardly, but what impact does that have on those that are around me as well? And do you do you present them with that information? Because there's a there's a really there is a really certain answer to mm. what does it feel like to be on the other side of you is to mm. ask those people and to get that feedback directly from them. Do you do you present? Mm do you find value in presenting leaders with that voice with the, you think it feels like this, this is what people have actually said it feels like. Definitely. Definitely. I think um, it's so funny actually. And, and, and there's such a, a beauty in being able to work with students and staff teams. Cause you realize that actually there's things that we might um, take for granted when we work with students that actually staff teams really appreciate as well. And so the question that you ask raises that reality of like creating a safe space once um, we create a safe space amongst staff teams, then what we find um, is that they're happy or more willing, I would say, to receive that sort of um, input from their peers. You know, um, I think that's quite a, a key thing. Um, and it, and to be honest, like how is this is so powerful, isn't it, to actually get honest feedback from yeah. um, from those that you're working um, along. The reality is, is, though, is that it's not comfortable. <laughs> you get me? It can be quite not challenging, yeah. and it does require that place for that to take to to happen. Because if yeah, if, exactly. you're, if you don't abstract it outside of like what's going on at work, what our current yeah. challenges are, it can it can feel judgmental. Mm. It can feel. Yeah, like you're being called out yeah. in a, in a way that means we can no longer work together on this shared yeah. goal because I don't trust, I don't trust or you don't trust or uh, we, yeah. we did it. We did a Sean, Sean and I did a test where we had to feedback on each other. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the Belbin team tests on a previous right, podcast. Right. And, uh, and yeah, just getting that collective sense of what are the words people would apply to me? Not necessarily yeah. how how and when do they apply it, but yeah, I just yeah. have to interpret what do they mean when they say I am caregiving or I am unable to what was mine unable to delegate. Right, <laughs> yeah, delegate. Yeah, right, Mark right, Mark right. likes lot. Mark takes on lots of tasks, oh, and yeah. then when he needs to delegate, doesn't always doesn't always do so. Right, I was gonna I, I was gonna say James on. Mm. On the uh, the point of that kind of safe space and mm. that once once staff are on board together as a strong unit, mm. it, it, you know, it pays dividends to then the students. Yeah, totally. You know, I think I've experienced that and, mm. and had examples of that where sometimes students can play teachers off each other, of course, of course. especially if they feel as though maybe one teacher is weaker yeah. or one teacher isn't quite doing 
what you're doing, mm. you know, so, so they come to you for advice or they come to you for information because maybe other teachers or staff members, they don't fully trust that they know what the right information is or what, what, what's up to date. And mm. I think, you know, sometimes that's not good because it can, sometimes it can play staff off of each other mm. because if a student comes back to you and says, Oh, X, you know, X said this, but you're saying why mm. that shouldn't be the case. The students should have the exact same communication, in my opinion, anyway, yeah, yeah, of course. about the school yeah, yeah, yeah. across all staff members. And, and I think it goes to behavior as well and, and consistency. So, you know, if I give detentions out, someone else should give detentions yeah, out and someone else for the same behaviors, because then once there's that consistency in communication, um, then students don't really have anywhere to go no, <laughs> in, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. There's no excuses. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's, that's massively significant. And um, there's, it's a very nuanced conversation um, simply because I guess one of the things that it, it brings up is the reality that in doing so, as you say, like there being like a uniformed approach, which we all know is like what we need to strive for. Yeah, yeah. consistency um, is huge. Consistency is massive because it creates safety for young people. They just feel like, cool, like I know how it goes here. Yeah. If I do this, this is what's going to happen. So we we know that even, you know, psychologically, that's a, that's that contributes to like a safe environment for them. I guess the challenge comes though with the reality of nuance, isn't it? There are some students that might have a bit more of a rapport with a particular teacher than others. And there are some teachers that might have a little bit more like but the truth of the matter is if we were to kind of like not decode it but if we were to kind of go beneath the surface what you find is even by virtue of different leadership styles and personalities and stuff there are some if we were to be honest that it's quite an awkward thing but for some they've got them they're they're more predisposed to people pleasing and so that's kind of happening underneath there yeah and that kind of in you know comes out on how they you know institute behavioral policy but again it's being aware of this, being aware that actually you might find, because oftentimes some people that struggle with that, if you were to be honest, chances are, again, if I was to look at it through a psychometric lens, chances are they're, they're more predisposed to being um, a feeler than a thinker, so to mm. speak. Um, and again, as I say, you know, it sounds quite, you know, almost like a, it's, it sounds quite like a plain way of saying it. There's nuances yeah, to these things. Yeah. So, but again, it's just that sort of reflection, that sort of kind of working as a team um, and being able, and remembering it's about the young people, you know? And so one of the key things we're quite passionate about is how do we lead in a way where we bring high support, but we also bring high challenge, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the models that we're trained in is, is what we call the support and challenge matrix. And it's this whole idea that essentially if you bring high challenge, but you bring low support, then you're going to create a culture of domination, fear and manipulation. If you bring low challenge and you bring low support, then you're going to create a culture that we call abdication, where there's like a lack of expect um, expectations and, you know, no sense of like anything really. If you bring um, high support and low challenge, then you actually create um, a culture, what we call a, a protector. And as a result of that, that leads to entitlement. And, and, and it leads to mistrust. But actually, when we work with, with schools, we're like, okay, how do we create a culture where we're bringing high support and high challenge? Yeah. And that creates yeah. that creates a culture where students can thrive and where teams can thrive as well. Yeah. We, we love that one, Mark, don't we? Because we, we're, we're actually lucky. We have, we have a, we have a counselor that, that works um, uh, at, at our school mm. and, you know, she, she's mentioned um, high challenge, high support so mm. many times. Mm. And before that I'd not been uh, exposed to that, that kind of phrasing right. and that kind of mentality. And as yeah. soon as she said it, mm. you know, um, as soon as she said it, it just gave me a whole different perspective of mm. how we can, how we can work with students. Totally. Because like you said, so many times we're, scared yeah. to give them too much because they might break and then other times we don't give them enough yeah. and then we say oh they're not motivated and it's like no like we can push students we can get get them to yeah. want to be the best they can be yeah. as long as yeah there are things in place around mm. them mm. To, to help and support that of course um i find it interesting whenever you have the those matrices because i do believe in the high mm. uh high support high challenge i think sometimes it's worth recognizing that in order to offer high support high challenge you have to know mm. where a, 
a young person is on that matrix in terms of what they're able to receive. Because uh, if you go in, if you go in, I am high challenge to someone who, who is, who is protected against that. You're never, you're never going to have the opportunity to give them high support. Mm. Uh, And so it's about kind of drawing people sometimes up towards that top corner of the matrix. Because, you know, I am, I am, if I'm anything, Mm. I do fall into that protector mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I'm trying to identify if they're ready for the challenge. Unfortunately, one of the things you have to do, and that I'm very bad, mm. I'm, I'm not very bad at, I'm quite bad at, is <laughs> one of the most effective way of saying, are you ready for this challenge, is to challenge mm. someone and then be there with the support. Is. Exactly. And so pitching that challenge. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. I think for me, if I was to be honest, I definitely... With, with, with the, the leadership voice that I have, I, I definitely, if I'm being unintentional and just leaving it down to just day to day, I can definitely fall on like high support, low challenge. Yeah. So for me, my challenge to me is to bring challenge, you know, and, yeah. and I practically do that with my team and I'm supervising. I'll have a supervision meeting. And for me, uh, a metric that I have mentally is how much challenge did I bring? I literally yeah. use the words, you know, yeah. as a way to hold me accountable to make sure that I'm moving towards a style of leadership that is comprised of high support and high challenge. Can I ask yeah. a question about that consciousness, particularly at the mm. moment? Because I, I'm, I'm feeling what you're saying there about there's, there's a conscious practice that we're trying to embody, that we're trying to get better at through repetition, through doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there is our unconscious pattern that we fall yeah. into. Yeah, it's true. Feeling the responsibility, let's say, that I feel at the Mm. moment for that consciousness Mm. to be Mm. the best version of the leader of young people or the supporter of young people or the advocate at the Mm. moment at a complicated time. Do you experience, I don't want to, I'm going to have to call it, burnout of consciousness, of, of, of having to be that on in the way that you're offering support and challenge the whole time, mm. particularly at the moment? Mm. So that's a great, great question. Do I experience burnout in terms of, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that question. I think for me, that's, that's the, that's, that's the, that's that element around um, one's, you know, emotional capacity and resources that one has, isn't it? And, and that the whole staff wellbeing as well, conversation yeah. as well, which I think is massively significant. And, and I think for myself, if I was to like reflect on that, you know, really like, yeah, like critically, I think there's, there's, I think there, there, there's been, there's been instances of that most definitely. I think um, it's very important to be able to take stock of where you are at personally in order to be of any substance and value to others in terms yeah. of how one, one, one serves, you know, and as, as I've mentioned before, you know, having the um, opportunity to serve as a community minister and a youth minister as well, like in quite a complex area, you know, yeah. um, I had, as I say, I had the privilege of growing up there, but there were some intense things that I had to witness yeah. or support young people through yeah. or like very, very life shaping intense areas, you know, in terms of instances like, um, stabbings that took place on the estate of, of young people where I, you know, would have been the, like, I remember a particular young person. And, um, when I was just getting into youth work, he was one of the first young people that I wanted to support into employment. You know, I went to school with his older brother, all of these intense issues can arise and, and with a sense of no, <laughs> they're not a respecter of persons in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, you're going through this as a practitioner. So go through this and then something else. It's like, sometimes it all takes place. At the same time, I think one of the most um, deepest things for me is I'm watching a young person have a, have a conversation with his dad over the phone and his dad was essentially giving up on him. His dad was yeah. essentially opting out of his life, you know, and watching that take place for me, that was massively intense to literally hear that conversation, you know, and hearing his mum having to console him somewhat. So there's definitely instances where we realise that actually, you know, speaking to young people about resilience is one thing, but what about the resilience and well-being of practitioners? You know, that's massive. And I think a framework that I found to be massively helpful around resilience is what we call the three R's of resilience. Yeah. Um, and this is, um, and we help students with this, but one of the things is responsibility, you know, 
um, what are things that one I can take responsibility for and just acknowledging the things that I, I can't, you know, but what can I actually take responsibility Huge. for? Yeah, it was just, it's a massive thing. But a really key thing um, is reaching out, one's ability to reach out for support or ability to reach out for, for help. And we help um, staff teams think about what does that look like for you when you're reaching out? Who can you reach out to? Who's there? Yeah. And some people, who's there, you know? And again, for some students, we help them with that one as well. As the convers- question came out of like, for myself personally, as I've shared for me, a significant aspect of who I am is my faith actually so for me reaching out is my my, my relationship with, with God you know I, I think that's something that I find like prayer and things of this nature kind of fuels me up to be yeah. James <laughs> to be yeah. honest um, so that's yeah. what re- reaching out looks like for me you know and then finally um, the final art of resilience is um, reframing you call it so that beautiful ability to look at things from a perspective that kind of moves you forward towards progression you know um so helping um students do that helping staff teams do that um is massively informed by having to practice that um myself you know Um, yeah 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 it is because we do we as the as the lockdown kind of was went full force and teaching Mm. from home started going on Mm. it's amazing how just looking at those three r's the, the the responsibility are completely wiped away from teachers. Like mm. I I cannot I cannot do anything about mm. the fact that I'm teaching from home. Yeah, and actually exactly. I can't really mm. do anything about how you're learning in so many ways that I'm used to because I'm not in the same space as you. The reaching yes. out, we're told to be yeah. alone. We're told to be mm. uh, we can't reach out. And so having, having a more esoteric or uh, mm, faith-based mm. reaching out becomes um, mm. hugely valuable there. And I think for people who aren't religious, the kind of the meditation mm. and mindfulness practice that allows mm, mm. that space is, is probably mm. important. And the reframing where we're facing uh, uncertain end to the situation, it becomes really hard to reframe or it becomes very quite true. exhausting. Yes, very true. But it's, it's recognizing the impact that that lockdown mm. has on the teachers that I have interacted with, who yeah. I don't even think get that sense of re- relaxation from the holiday now because it doesn't feel that yes. different. Yes, it's, yeah. it's very true. It's, it's definitely <laughs> something that I've seen, most definitely, yeah. Although we do have to be careful on the uh, six weeks break when mm. people are still working all the time. I know, so we, I know. Can't, we can't moan too much. Yes, yeah, We've got to be careful on that one. I always feel for the freelancers because they, they're the ones who uh, don't get paid throughout the summer, but don't have exactly. any work because the schools exactly. aren't. Gonna... Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so James, listen, mm. it's been fascinating speaking to you. Um, I think we've got so much, so much in there. We could, we could go into each one of your points. I think <laughs> For, for, for hours but um we always say um on the podcast that coaches make coaches mm. you know so is there anyone out there that's kind of molded you or had an impact on your leadership um and your kind of journey mm. uh, and career um or maybe you've seen some things where you're like i'm gonna make sure i i don't act in that way or i don't mm. lead in that way but yeah, yeah. is there is there anyone that comes <laughs> yeah, to mind this has you? turned into yeah. putting people on blast for their team yeah. management <laughs> yeah 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 exactly no if i was to be honest like i think I've, I've i've been massively um privileged like the things that have shaped me as a leader like you know have been so significant man i think um yeah, so there's there's a variety of people and a variety of experiences. So I think one of the experiences, if I was to be honest, that really helped shape me and and a passion to grow as a leader is is being a senior detached youth worker on my estate, because what it did is it put me in a really intense context um, because of so much of the work that I was doing, I had the privilege of supporting young people in a context where actually. Yeah there was such obvious, like quite pernicious (laughs) and vicious vices um, that were encouraging them to pursue other things. Like, so young people, working with young people, you're literally, you're, 
you're against visionaries that have different visions for their for for the young right. people that you're working with. You're and some of them are very great at communicating a compelling vision to be a drug dealer. And yeah. actually they like you learn a lot about leadership from some of these organic leaders in the community that unfortunately are trying to enroll young people to do other things. So it forced me to say, James, like you're here to create a different narrative. Yeah. How are you actively and passionately and effectively gonna go about doing that? So having that sort of tension kind of cr- forced me to get really creative yes. about how effective I want to be about being a community leader, you know? Um, so that experience was a very, very, very powerful thing for me. But I, I was blessed to have amazing um, leaders in my life. So as I say, when I was encouraged to go into youth work, you know, that was, um, that was a, a local youth um, worker um, for my community. But not only was he, 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 he was also actually at that time, he was my sister, my, my older sister's boyfriend, you know, and then nice. he got a, a local <laughs> youth work job. So, so he was like a big brother to me, to be honest. And, and so, and he would always kind of in, encourage me to get involved in like a variety of positive activities. So, you know, his leadership was amazing. And, you know, early on in, in, in my faith, like, um, you know, the pastors in my local church, it was just great to see. Um, men that were, you know, just great. I, I saw as great leaders, man, taking care of their families and and holding down jobs and like active, you know, in in, in their service. Yeah, was was massive for me. The things that you just kind of almost like just unknowingly taking definitely um, informed informed that as well, you know. But I, I, honestly, I think um, even now and then later on, I've just come across, you know, as in terms of your own professional and personal development you get exposed to like some great examples as well like i've always appreciated some of john maxwell's content um, in regards to leadership it's always found that helpful i think that the team at giant worldwide are absolutely phenomenal um so and and some of the input that i've received from them has been great um my time in ministry you know i've got a good friend who who leads a church in west london who's just been massively instrumental to me um, so all of these things have been massive, but I, I must say, I think the most precious gems have been when I was, you know, pounding the streets as a local detached youth worker on Andover Estate in North London. And some of the things that young people taught me and some of the things and circumstances that they went through and how I had to reflect on that as a practitioner forced me to yeah. learn some things then that have been massive and valuable to students and staff teams that I work yeah. with now. It's it's Amazing. it's a it's a uh, crash course in adaptation mm. and humility yeah. and all of yeah, these things that yeah, say totally, how man. about you check where totally. you are right now. Yeah, right right now I'm telling you. Yeah. And the other mm. thing that we ask is, how can we find out more about you? Is there anything you want to plug? Mm. Uh, we'll stick yeah. links for we'll li- stick links for the. Cool. Um, giant worldwide and the john maxwell stuff in the show notes but if there's anything else you want the world to know about tell them about it now yeah yeah so definitely so in terms of the work that we do with students and staff teams www.innerscope.co.uk and and then you can find out more about the work that we do with students and staff there and um yeah that's mainly it really actually i think um you know a key way in which we're working with schools in this time is we've got an online resource um so that's been really cool is because it it means that we've been um able to maintain our impact to of schools um, by virtue of the internet, really. And that particular resource encapsulates so much of what we're about. Um, it's basically comprised of like 10 um, short and punchy, inspirational, impactful video clips for students. But because we're really passionate about sustainable impact, there's pre-designed coaching questions for staff staff members to use with the students. So it just means that, that again, it's not, it's not just a one-off hit, but there's these conversations that can take place for as long as the students are in school Amazing. um so so that's 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 been really really fun yeah brilliant check check that out. i'll put a link to to interscope in the show notes as well um thank cool. you so much for coming on this has been a beast and i think yeah. i'd love to when the circumstance changes and maybe we have a chance to continue this chat in person uh because yeah. i think i think there's loads more to get uh, to get on to what do you reckon sean 100 absolute mm. pleasure having you on james thank you so much thank um you. you know i definitely think there's there's some 
stuff that we could work on sort mm. of in our school. And I know we've had those discussions as well. And maybe in the future, that's something that we can look into. But mm. I just I just want to go back onto your last point, uh, James, about, you know, what's kind of inspired you and, and, and helped you along your journey. Mm. And just in those inner city kind of estates and working with those young people, mm. it's just it's just so important. I can't stress the importance. Mark has has experience of it. I have experienced it. You obviously have experience of it. If there aren't those role models for these young people in their society, in their everyday lives, where does it come from? Where do, it just won't come from anyone. Or like you said, it comes from, you know, the gift of the gab yeah. visionary drug yeah. dealer, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. for example, yeah, you know, that's yeah. just one example. Mm. And, and why would, why would they not take that route? Mm. Why would they not, you know? So I think it's so important for our listeners to just really understand the impact that, that people working, uh, youth workers and people working in the community, it's m- absolutely massive and they should be treasured and they should be paid a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. Yeah, yeah man, definitely, yeah. definitely. But thank you so much, James. Really absolute, appreciate Absolute privilege, guys. Really, really um, appreciate you reaching out. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And there you go. I, I told you it was inspirational. Really was. Yeah, I felt I felt really good after uh, I, I felt really good after that one, Mark. It was a very introspective kind of having to go away and think about how how I lead uh, teams and, and how I am as part of a team, which is what our podcast is all about. And bigger than that, the teams that I'm bothering to get involved in, that little bit at the end where he's talking about, you know, if it's not a good role model... You know, there are other people out there who are incredible leaders who are bad role models, who are going to get young people involved in illegal stuff, in dangerous stuff, because they have learned the ways of, of, you know, being convincing, painting an incredible picture of a lifestyle or whatever. Well, that visionary is what, yeah, what we that's the word. Visionary but where that visionary doesn't have the same positive motives and, and objectives as you'd want for the young people that we see every day and that, you know, that live around us. So I found that quite challenging as well as inspirational, that we have a job to do as people who work with young people, but generally as we move through the world to be that positive collaborator with young people 100 and you know especially in, in our communities uh, as well i think i think when we spoke to gareth evans uh, a while back now we we mentioned about that community side of things um both kind of in a school and and in his local constituency and, yeah. and i think just we can go about things in our community uh, in a positive way to kind of be be a positive a positive role model within within the space that we live yeah positive um, and active like there's a way to be passive about all of this and not engage and i think james gave this real sense of one of how much value he got out of being engaged with his community and directly with his community uh, but two the necessity for that 100% and we talk about being inspired and i think it his his experiences in his community and working as a, a youth worker inspired him to to push him onto where where he is now with his you know with his own business uh, in Innerscope. Um, I think one of the key takeaways for me was the the kind of for me against me or for myself. Yes, um, you know which he was speaking from not just from a student to teacher perspective, but also just a staff member to staff yeah. member perspective. And I think if you have a team of people who uh, for each other, uh, then it can be really powerful in the same way that things can really break down if you're working against each other or, or if you're working for yourself. And how easy it is to notice that as well. Like this exactly, person is yeah. not working for us. Exactly. And, and I think I liked the fact that he speaks on that with both staff and students, yeah. not not just uh, one or the other, um, because I think he, he said 
there was a lot of authenticity that the students feel from Innerscope when they go in and speak to them because conversations that are being had with the young people are also being had with the adults, so to speak. And I think the students appreciate yeah. that they're being spoke to as young as young adults. So lots of takeaways there. I'm sure people will feel inspired, but really enjoyed it. Absolutely. That, the, the three R's of resilience, responsibility, reaching out, reframing, the support and challenge matrix, high support, high challenge, yeah, we love that, don't we? We 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 love that phrase. These are all incredibly practical and useful ways of putting your intention up on the wall. You know, putting your values over the door. Yes, they're kind of slogans, but actually, if you if you live by those slogans, they're great ways of breaking it down. How much challenge am I bringing? Was his mantra to himself. Am I bringing enough challenge to this person? And that's something that one of my takeaways is how often do I ask myself that question as someone who can tend to bring the support without offering the challenge as well. So there you go. Slightly different vibe to usual, but thank you to James for coming on and offering those perspectives on his community work and uh, loads of leadership stuff in there. And uh, just a quick one, guys. Um, you may have felt as though I was a bit missing on that episode. <laughs> um, I did have a few. I did have a few internet issues. So yes, if you didn't hear my voice as much this week, apologies. Um, but maybe you heard it enough as much as you needed to so just wanted to throw that one in there and if you wanted to feedback to sean that you that you missed him uh you can do it via twitter or instagram at no i podcast you can email us both mark or sean at no i podcast dot show i think this one is particularly a great episode to share if you think someone needs to hear what uh, james was talking about set, send it on get people on board because like this is a great example of the kind of stuff we get to talk about on this show and is really worth sharing thanks always everyone for listening we've got uh, next week's and then we're going to take another break we're going to call that series two over and done and in the bag again we're going to go we're going to have a listen back and reflect and see who else we can get on send your recommendations for people you want to hear from uh, in all the ways that uh, we've talked about uh, last thing to say then is goodbye from sean goodbye guys and goodbye from me goodbye Must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.